Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Influencer Podcast. This is your host, your lady, your gal, your girl, whatever you want to call me, Julie, Julie Solomon here. So pumped about today's episode because it fuses two of my favorite things in the world, which are wine and business. (laughs) If you like wine, you are going to love this episode. I am talking with the founder of Dry Farm Wines, Todd White, and this is a really beautiful conversation that we have. We talk everything from wine, specifically dry farm wine, why it is so amazing. I share with you guys why this wine, it's pretty much the only wine I drink now. Um, it really saved me after I had my my second child, my daughter last year. Um, I share a little bit why in the beginning. Um, what I love about this wine is that it, I call it my dream come true wine. Um, it is very, very uh, low alcohol content, um, no sugar, paleo-friendly, keto-friendly. It is um, organically and biodynamically grown, um, less than 12.5% alcohol, um, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and he gets into a lot of, of the background into this. And so if you love wine, you're going to love this conversation. But more importantly, if you love business or if you are someone who has a passion to create a business, which I know that you do, because you listen to this podcast, you're going to really like this conversation. Todd dives into his story. He has had 10 companies over his lifetime. He has had some that he has sold and he has had some that have failed. And he talks about that. And he talks about alignment and the importance of alignment in order to really find the business that you're meant to show up for and serve in your lifetime. He talks a lot about joy and bringing joy into the work that you do. He talks a lot about team building and culture. Um, What really kind of started out as a conversation on wine, it really turned into a beautiful mentorship conversation on, um, you know, what it means to be a leader, what it means to um, own a business and what it means to share what you love with purpose and with a vision, and with joy and passion. And so without further ado, we are going to dive into this conversation. And before we get started into that, I want to let you know that if you decide that you want to try these these wines, you can go to dryfarmwines.com slash Julie Solomon. And when you do that, what happens is that it gives you the opportunity to get a really good deal. You can buy six bottles and you get your seventh for just a penny, or you can buy 12 bottles and you get your 13th for just a penny. All right. Here we go. Hello, and welcome to the Influencer Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Solomon, business coach and brand expert. I invite you to join millions of our other listeners in building a brand that is influential, loved by the masses, and worth millions. The Influencer Podcast is the only resource you need to start, grow, and scale the brand and business of your wildest dreams. Discover why people all over the world call the Influencer Podcast their go-to for all things branding, influence, and marketing. That's what you want to get your hands on, right? Hi, Todd. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Julie. I'm super excited to be here and lots to talk about in 30 minutes. Yes, we've got lots to cover. I, um, I wanted to have you on because I 
I'm a consumer and a customer of yours. Thank you. <laughs> I, um, I found Dry Farm Wines, which we're going to dive into today, uh, last year. And uh, there was a lot going on. Um, I was pregnant. We oh, were wow. in the middle of a pandemic. Um, or I'm sorry, I, I just had my, I had been pregnant. I had just had my baby. We were in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and I hadn't had wine in a long time because I had been pregnant and I started to drink a little bit of wine. And I noticed that just things were different this time around. I was waking up congested. I had headaches. It just, it wasn't a good time. And I was finding that the wines that I used to love and enjoy, I could not enjoy anymore. And, um, I even talked to my doctors about it and she was like, Oh, it's probably just your hormones. It will, it will shake out. It's probably just this, it will shake out. Um, so I was like, okay, okay. And, um, I also, you know, I grew a year older last year as well. Um, but I kept trying to give it some time and, and nothing was working. And then I was turned on to dry farm wines by my sister-in-law. And she was like, you should try this wine. It is biodynamic. It is like zero sugar. There's no sulfates. All of the stuff that you're complaining about is literally going to go away. And I was like, I don't know. And she was like, just try it. So I tried it and I was blown away and amazed. And it's now my dream. I call it my dream come true wine. It's my go-to wine. And I share a lot about it with my community um, on, on social media, but I also wanted to share about it with my community here today, which is why I want to have you on. Not only do I have a lot of women that can relate to that story, um, but I think that you as a business owner, um, there's a lot to learn from you. And I love how you took an idea and you ran with it. Even if you probably had a lot of people telling you, no, this is not going to work. People don't want this type of wine. Um, and they were wrong and you were able to really disrupt a massive industry and a massive market and you did it amazingly. So with all of that said, hello and welcome. And I would love to hear a little bit more about the journey of dry farm wines and where it all came about. Well, on women than men. Um, and so, you know, I, I didn't, Dry Farm Wines was not, didn't start as a business. I, I, it began, I was trying to solve a problem I had. Um, and so, which was, I was a lifelong wine aficionado. About five or six years ago, I started experimenting with the therapeutic ketogenic diet. And so as a result of this, change in my nutritional life. Plus I, I thought it could be that I was just getting older and I, you know, I, I, but I've lived in Napa Valley for 20 years. I've been drinking wine since I was nine years old. I've been a lifelong wine aficionado wines from all over the world. And I just found that I couldn't drink wine anymore. It's making me feel bad. I was getting up with hangovers. I was getting drunk easier. I, I thought it was just, you know, and we'll talk about this. I love wine. I don't love alcohol. And so, <clears throat> which is why we only drink and sell lower alcohol wines. And in fact, this year we're, we're introducing an in early summer, an ultra low category of wines in six and 7%. Right. And so, which I've been particularly enjoying of recent, it might surprise people because I'm in the wine business. I sell wine and it surprises people to hear me say that Alcohol is a very dangerous neurotoxin, and it ruins millions of people's lives every year, and some people just shouldn't drink at all, right? And so so I think about drinking. I think about it a lot. I think about when I think about drinking, I think about tapping in, not checking out, right? 
And that's an important concept. And so part of that is just lower alcohol. And then the other problem with wines is that there's 76 additives approved by the FDA for the use in winemaking. Consumers don't know anything about these additives because the wine industry has been able to keep them secret because the wine industry has spent millions of dollars of lobby money to keep contents labeling off of wine. So wine is the largest major food product without a contents label on it. And so when you're drinking a bottle of wine, you don't really know what's in it. And that's what was making you feel bad are the things that's in it. It's not wine itself, real, honest, natural wine, what I sell and drink, is fermented grape juice, period, nothing added, nothing taken away. <clears throat> most of the wine, and we'll kind of summarize here, you know, most of the wine that you see on the store shelf when you go into the grocery or a bottle shop, most of those wines are made by just a handful of companies. Now, they don't want you to know that. So... What's happened in our wine supply is the same thing that's happened in our food supply. It's been massive corporate consolidation over the last 30 or 40 years. So 52% of all the wines manufactured in the United States are made by just three giant companies. Wow. And the top 30 companies in the U.S. make over 70% of all wines. So when you see all those wine bottles, most of them are made by just a handful of companies. That They keep the secret from you. They don't want you to know this. So they hide behind thousands of brands and labels to confuse you, even though they're all being made in the same factory. And when I say factories, I'm talking about in Central California, there are these massive wine factories that are multiple football fields big, right, where most of this wine is made. And it's made using industrial additives. That's just a fact. And additives are used all across the wine industry, no matter what size it is. So even here in Napa Valley, where you have cult wines and expensive wine, additives are still being used here. Maybe different ones in different amounts, they're still being used. But things like defoaming agents, as an example, when you move wine from one tank to the other, which you do in fermentation, it foams, as many products do. Well, if you're a natural winemaker, you just wait for the foam to subside. But if you make commercial wines, you spray it with a defoaming agent to make the foam go away. Right. So this is just the kind of minor things that that are going on. But so dry farm wines began, you know, in the pursuit of truth, in the pursuit of honesty, in the pursuit of real wine. And the fact is that natural wine, we're the largest natural wine buyer and seller in the world. Natural wines are a very, very small segment of the wine industry, and there's you know, virtually none here in the U.S. As you know, drinking our wines, all of our wines come from out of the country. So, But anyway, it was a personal pursuit to find a better way to drink, and then when I started sharing the wines with my friends and telling them, hey, look, you can drink this. You don't have any negative remnants. There's no, there's no hangover in the morning. There's no, you know, you feel different when you drink it. It's a lighter, fresher buzz. You know, it's not as heavy and weighty. Mm -hmm. And so it's a better buzz. It tastes better. It's cleaner and lighter and fresher, right? It's a fresher taste. And for people who eat like you and I do, right, who eat, you know, generally honest, raw, real food, right, whole food, when you eat this way and not out of a package but out of a garden, right, when you eat this way, your palate adjusts to expecting a lighter, fresher taste. And so the wines taste lighter, fresher. 
So that was sort of, you know, just began as a personal pursuit. And then when I discovered all these things I just shared with you, it was like, I started sharing that with other people. They were very interested in what they were putting in their body. My friends, as creators, we work so hard creating our content. So we don't want to leave it up to things like an algorithm to determine how successful our online brands and businesses can be. And that is why I love Kajabi. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs like myself build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. And I know they can help you too. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, your passions, your experiences into enriching offers like online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, communities, personalized coaching, and so much more. What I love about Kajabi is that not only does it make it super easy to use, but they don't take a cut of your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. You don't need a huge audience to make a sustainable income online. I talk about that all the time here on the podcast. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures without having hundreds of thousands of followers, and you can too. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business. Go to kajabi.com slash influencer. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash influencer. Go to kajabi.com slash influencer and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. My friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, you need other support. You need to grow. You need to scale. You need a marketing strategy. You need a lot of this stuff. Now, of course, I talk so much about these things, right? Like how to identify your target audience, where to find them, which marketing channels to focus on. So you're really making the most out of your budget. And of course, how to use things like data to set goals. But there's another great podcast that I love out there that also talks about this stuff. And it's called This is Small Business. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, answers so many of these kinds of questions. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or you're looking to take a part-time side hustle full-time, or maybe you're a few years in and you're ready to scale. This is Small Business is going to give you the practical tips that you can start using today. And I know that if you love these topics on my podcast, you're going to love them on this one too. Make sure to follow This is Small Business on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you don't miss these fantastic episodes. And a big thanks to This is Small Business business for sponsoring the show. And I love that we explained why this wine is, it's better. It's better for you. It tastes better. Like what you said about the heaviness. I mean, it nails it. You don't, you don't have that. Your, your, my eyes don't start to close. I don't get tight. You know, all of those things. What makes a wine natural? Well, there's natural wines are very rare. Less than 1% of all the wines in the world are actually natural. Let me just cover a couple of points. Natural wine, which is a a global definition that's well understood within the wine industry, but it's very confuse, confusing to consumers. So I say, well, I only drink natural wine. They're like, well, aren't all wines natural? Well, they're not for the reasons that I just described to you, but here's what makes a natural wine. It's very simple. It's always biodynamic or organic farming. And biodynamic farming is an advanced prescriptive form of organic farming. 
Number two, natural wines are always fermented with wild native yeast. This is kind of confusing, but on the skin of every, every grape berry in the world at the time of harvest, yeast has collected on the skin of the berry through the air. It's wild and indigenous to the vineyard where the grape has grown. It's a white, waxy-looking film that's on every grape berry in the world at the time of harvest. But commercial winemakers do not ferment with this wild native yeast for a few reasons. One, you can't make wine in very large volumes with it. It's too unstable. It is very fragile. It's difficult to work with. It requires coddling and a lot of attention. Uh, and three, native yeast will die if the alcohol environment gets too high. They're just a fragile yeast, difficult to work with. Natural winemakers, and it is a requirement that natural winemakers always ferment with this wild native yeast. And number three, there's no additives. Now, here's the interesting thing. For natural wine, there's no international certification for what a natural wine is. As I mentioned earlier, there's an international understanding among everybody who's in that business what it is. But there's no official govern, governing body as there is, say, for organic. Now, French, the French just announced a few months ago during the pandemic, actually, that they are going to be the first company country to certify natural wines. This is a very positive development. And so there will be, coming up in 2022, there will be a certification process for natural wines. Now, Dry Farm Wines, my company, does have a certification process. Our certification process goes over and beyond just the natural requirements. As you know, in the name of our company, our qualifications also require that the, um, that the fruit be dry farmed. So no irrigation is what that means. Um, our vineyards across Europe that grow wines for us save 16 billion gallons a year not irrigating. Right wow. now, problem in the U.S. is that almost in 30 minutes we don't have time to get into with the problems with the irrigation. But it's bad for the planet. It's bad for the vine, and it produces a fruit that's less that's less healthy. Mm. It contains lower polyphenols, which are the health compounds, flavonoids, nanoflavonoids that are in found in in, in grapes and in grape juice and skins and seeds. So the most famous one is resveratrol. You may have heard of that's the most famous polyphenol. So these are the compounds and properties within wine that are thought to make it healthier. And mm. there's a lot of evidence out there around that. So anyway, we require ir irrigation-free farming or dry farming, as it's known. We also um, require that the wines be sugar-free. And we also require that the wines be 12.5% or below. And then we require that they contain only naturally occurring sulfites, all fermented products from sauerkraut to, to kombucha all have sulfites in them. Sulfites are a natural. The question is, did they add industrial sulfur dioxide? That, that, that's the question. And so we do lab testing for all of these things. So all of, each one of our wines is independently lab tested by an independent enologist to ensure our standards of purity. Mm. So that's that commercial wines, on the other hand, are usually industrially farmed, almost always irrigated because irrigation creates a higher yield of fruit. 
and it also creates fruit that weighs more. It might not surprise you when you fill a great berry with water, it weighs more. Since fruit is sold by the ton, it's more profitable to irrigate. That's why irrigation is almost ubiquitous in the United States. More than 99% of all U.S. vineyards are irrigated. And so, which is one of the reasons we don't sell domestic wine. Mm. So anyway, that's, um, and then, um, as we've discussed before, commercial wines contain, may contain some or many additives. Well, and I, I appreciate you walking us through that because I think that when you're explaining it, it, it starts to allow me to understand like, this is why I started to feel bad when I was drinking the wines that I used to drink. Um, and now that I'm 36 and I've had two kids and, you know, I just, I can't, um, I can't risk, I can't risk that feeling, you know, I can't risk having a day that I can't do anything because I'm congested or because I had a wine that had too much sugar in it, or because I have a headache or migraine or whatever those things are. Um, and that's why I do, I love, I love these wines so much. And I would really love to talk about how you were able to, to get people on, on board. Um, I mean, I know that you said that this concept of natural wine has been around in the industry for a while, but you know, this is a really big industry that profits on a lot of what we just talked about. And you are the antithesis of that. So how were you able to kind of come in and say, I have this idea. Um, these wines are great. I feel better when I drink them. I think other people will feel better too. Um, and how were you able to really persuade and, and just get people on board to see the results that you were also looking, um, that you were also seeing in, in yourself as well? I think there's a couple of components. One that stands out, I think, above all, and, you know, is, is authenticity. So, you know, we're very authentic. And this is a this is a missing component in much of American marketing or global marketing today, you know, and that people are trying to sell you something. I'm not here to sell you something. I'm here to educate you. And when you experience the product, you'll see for yourself what you and I already know. When you experience the product, you'll see that it's revolutionarily different and you will feel revolutionarily better, right? And so the product will sell itself once you get to that stage. I'm not here to sell you on that. I'm here to educate you and help you understand authentically what's really happening. You can make the decision for yourself, whether that's important to you. It's not important to everybody. Right. And so I think that was one, but you know, in terms of the methodology, it was quite accidental. Uh, the whole business was quite accidental and, and I'd never done influence marketing before. I didn't know anything. I never, never barely even heard of it. Right. Five years ago, influencer marketing today is a lot bigger than it was five years ago. But I basically went to health authorities and health leaders like Mark Sisson at, you know, Primal, Primal Kitchen and Coach and Mark Staley Apple and Dave Asprey at Bulletproof and um, now over a thousand of these health authorities and leaders. I basically went to them and said, look, you're a health leader and you're recommending that people drink wine because that's generally the recommendation if people are going to drink alcohol to drink, you know, either you know, a distilled spirit like tequila or wine. And, and so, you know, you're making these recommendations, but really you, you're not telling the full story here. And so I helped educate them and then, you know, influencer marketing primarily through podcast was 
and then public speaking and just educating people. So that was the primary methodology, but it was quite accidental. I wasn't, again, I didn't say, oh, I'm going to go build this influencer marketing company. I didn't even know what influencer marketing was. I didn't even know it was a thing. You know, I just went, <laughs> I was just quite ignorant. You know, I, I just went to people I thought would care and told them the story and gave them wine and said, you know, experiment with it for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't, if it doesn't work for you, that's cool. But, you know, but it does. Mm-hmm. So that was just basically just kind of stumbled into it. Now we have, you know, a more sophisticated influencer marketing apparatus, right, where we help reach more people in a more systematic way. But in the beginning, it was just somewhat haphazard. And how has influencer marketing um, helped support or even, you know, transform the way in which you outreach and you communicate and you connect with your ideal consumer and customer? Well, I mean, initially it was it was like 90% of the business. Today, it it represents a far, far smaller, smaller portion because of our size and, you know, our social media presence. Last year, we had 271 million impressions on social, you know, so it, it just like because of our scale now in, in terms of reaching people, it's not as important as it once was. But in the beginning, it was sort of everything. It was the the we had no social presence. We did no social advertising uh, for the first couple of years of the business, just because it was growing so fast. We didn't, we couldn't accommodate for more growth. Right. And it was growing through influencer marketing, primarily through podcasts. And then we began to surface in New York times, bestselling books and health authorities would start writing about us. And last year, well, in 2019, 2020, we, you know, we appeared in over 215 major press outlets. You know, Oprah did a full-page magazine ad. I mean, not an ad. Oprah did a full-page magazine feature on us. Bloomberg, Forbes, um, you know, we're the official wine for every material performance and health conference, you know, that were going on before the pandemic. You know, New York Times. I mean, we've just been covered at Fox and NBC. And, you know, we've been covered sort of all Martha Stewart did a feature on us. I mean, we've just been covered everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so, the, you know, over time, which those are all influencer marketing as well. It's right. public relations technically, but it's really influencer marketing when Oprah writes about you. Right. Right. And so it's just that there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of print press. We just got a terrific feature in Rolling Stone a couple of weeks ago where we were the number one recommended wine club in the United States. So it was like, you know, so it's just been kind of this, it just builds upon itself um, over time. But initially it was all influencer marketing. It's still today is, you know, we talked about, you know, we're super friendly and uh, we're kind of lovers and we like spreading love around the world. And so, you know, we just try to tell our truth and people resonate with that in a world that's filled with a lot of noise. I mean, we're, you know, trying to educate people. And I think people appreciate that. And what resonates with me, it's, it's kind of two things that when you, I guess how I'm going to say the way that I'm going to say it may sound simple, but I think a lot of people miss the mark is you had a purpose of why you were creating this and why you wanted to get it out into the world and why it mattered. And you connected that purpose to people and then you got them results 
you, you know, like I say, you, you gave someone their dream come true. I want to be able to drink wine and actually feel good about it. And, and, and that's why it works. <laughs> and that's why you are the biggest natural winemaker in the world and you're covered and Oprah loves you and, and all of those things. And so I think that, um, your story and your message is a great reminder to those listening who are building whatever it is that you're building that, you know, you, you got to have a purpose and you got to have a why you have, you have to start from that place. And then you have to deliver results, whatever it is that you're creating, it has to be results given, uh, driven. And you have to make sure that you're, that you're meeting your customer where they are and, and what they, what they, what they desire. And I think that that was your, your purpose aligned beautifully with the purpose and with the results that your consumers wanted, whether you even anticipated that or consciously even knew that that was happening at the time or was going to happen. Um, and with that said, I would love to chat about, um, the, the wine club and, you know, um, that was a definitive decision and direction that, you know, you all chose to make as a business to have, to have the wine club. I love being a part of the wine club. Um, and I would love for you to share a little bit about it and, um, and, and why, you know, that was the direction that you took. Cause it's a very, very successful wine club. It, it is where. There's nobody who measures this. We think we're probably the largest wine club in the United States, but but uh, you know the our scale of reaching people is just outside of most wine mechanisms. So it's just you know because we're direct to consumer online. The <clears throat> here was the thing. This is a very risky decision early on. Mm -hmm. Very risky decision when we decided not to sell single bottles or not to sell to to even allow one-off orders, right? Now, if you're a member or if you're on our email list, you will get promotions a couple of times a month that give you opportunities to buy special collections of wine that are in that are not subscription related. But if you go to our website, the only thing you can do, the only way to get our wine is subscribe to our club. Now, we make it very easy to cancel. So, you know, you can sign up and cancel on the same day and get a box and, you know, and you're not, you're, we, we make it super, super simple, right? So we have an account porter. You want to cancel, boom, you're out. We're not trying to trick anybody into cancellations or make it difficult for them to get out. But it was a very risky decision early on <clears throat> because what if people didn't want to join our club? And, but here was the, here was the, the thought for why we wanted to do that. I'm a regular wine drinker. I drink wine every day, uh, unless I'm on an extended water fast, which I generally do about once a month. I only eat once per day. I eat, you know, I do 24 hour intermittent fasting every day. And so, and I do extended fasting usually once a month for three to five days. It's just a part of my health protocol. That's the only time I don't drink wine. Other than that, I drink wine and a good bit of it every single day. And I have for decades. And so, and there were points in my life when I, many years ago when I drank spirits and I had a tenuous relationship with alcohol. And so, you know, I, I have I found a solution to drinking that made me feel great that didn't impact my performance anymore. I wanted to share that with other regular wine drinkers, right? And so 
regular wine drinkers don't object to being in a member of a club because they drink wine all the time, right? So they're always drinking wine. In fact, many times they're ordering wine between their shipments, <laughs> right? And so, so my goal was to help people like me. I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to be the wine club for everyone or wasn't trying to be the wine business for everyone or wasn't trying to be the business for everybody. It's trying to be a business that wanted to help people like me who like drinking regularly. And, you know, I drink daily, not all of our members do, but, but I wanted to help people like me. I, I thought my thinking was the people who need the most amount of help are the people who drink the most amount of wine. Right. And so now there were some other, there were business goals in that as well. If you can be in a subscription business that has reoccurring revenue, well, that's better than having to get up every morning and make a new sale. So right. that leads to a more peaceful life. But I want to touch for just for a moment on your purpose statement earlier. You know, I've been self-employed since I was 17. I'm now 60, right? So I've done about 10 companies. This was the most fun mm. and, uh, and clearly the best. But one of those reasons was, you know, after my last business six years ago failed and I closed it down, the only kind of catastrophic business failure I've experienced in my professional career where I closed a business down, laid off 40 people, um, you know, it was a horrifying experience. Um, and, and from that, I developed 18 business rules for any business I would be a part of in the future. And the first one was when you speak about purpose, the first rule was that I was going to do, never do anything again that I didn't love so much that I would do it for free. Mm. Now there's some people who disagree with this point of view who say, well, you know, you don't have to be that passionate about something you do to be successful at it. And that's true. Or maybe you shouldn't even be, you should just like pursue what you're talented at, not necessarily what you're passionate about. But for me, I had been a lifelong wine drinker. I love wine. I, you know, it's it's one of my foremost hobbies. And so now I'm in this business where, you know, I'm able to prosper, create purpose, solve problems, educate and help people around something that I love, right? And so, love it so much, I'd be willing to do it for free. Or as I like to say, I was already doing it before I was just paying to do it. Right. And so for me, this is just a me thing. It, it's, you know, and, and for people who come to me for mentoring or advice, I, this is what I tell them is, you know, you should do something you love, you know, so that every single day, because see, many people spend much of their life seeking a destination. Right. So it's like, okay, well, when I get here, then I'll be able to do what I really want to do. Uh, when I have enough money to do this, then I'll be over to do it or go over to do this. Or as soon as I get to here, I'll be able to quit this or get rid of this part of my life. Well, many people spend their whole life just kind of moving that destination forward, right? And for me, I think the journey is the destination. So the journey is the pleasure. My point of saying that is that if the journey of day in and day out is the journey is the, the, the source of pleasure for me and the source of all of our life 
activities is really just this journey, then I think we should be doing something that we truly love doing, right? And because that makes every day a joy. And for me, that was wine was one of those things. It's not the only thing, but but it aligned with my other passions of fitness and diet and you know, this whole thing just aligned perfectly. None of my prior businesses, or I'd say very few of them, really aligned with exactly who I wanted to be in life, right? They aligned with me trying to make money, right? right? They aligned with me trying to scale a business. They aligned with me trying to, to, to cash out, to create a business I could exit from, right? And Another one of those 18 rules, not only was a business that I needed to love so much, I'd do it for free, but another one was I want a business I don't want to sell Mm. because I had spent most of my life building businesses with the idea that I was going to sell them to somebody else. And I did on a couple of occasions, right? And that's what the whole startup mentality has become now is like, how can I start something that I can sell to somebody else? And the way you make decisions in a business if you are trying to sell it versus how you make decisions in a business that you intend to own for a very long time are very different, right? And how you make the values that you have and the decisions that you make when you're looking at a 20-year horizon are different than a five-year horizon. And so, or maybe it's multi-general, maybe it never gets sold. So for me, I, you know, I wanted a business I didn't want to sell, that it was just so which is why we have this very intense culture. I don't know if you're aware, but my company meditates for an hour in the beginning of every day together. Now it's on Zoom, but historically it's been in our meditation room, which is the largest room in our office building, and all we do is meditate in there. And so, you know, so for us it was about building a culture of love and community and shared consciousness and honesty and transparency right? Just all the things that we want, but don't seem to get as much of as we need, right? So for us, it was about building a whole culture around not only this beautiful, natural wine, pure product, but around a a lifestyle, the way that we live in order to connect to each other. And wine also helps with connection. I mean, there's nothing like wine to create love and connection, you know, around the dinner table. So, but anyway, I think for me, I just recommend that people try to find something that they're interested in, that they really, truly love doing. You know, it's just like anything that we compete in in sports. We do things that we love things that we're good at, right? We don't love doing things we're not good at. You know, so find what you're good at and what you love, and then you'll find a way to monetize it always. I mean, people monetize virtually anything, Right. I mean, you, you'll find a way to monetize it. You just do what you love. And when you have that feeling in your heart, abundance is going to be attracted to you anyway through the law of attraction. You know, when you're putting that energy of that positive energy out, it's going to mirror back at you. And if you're doing something you truly love, and I was just reading an article about Bear, Gary Friedman yesterday, who's the, the CEO, not technically the founder, but more or less the founder of RH uh, Furnishings. And, he, and, you know, and, in this article, he said, you know, we do things we love doing with people that we love, right? And that just makes for a lot of wholeness, you know? And then the journey's, like, really exciting. Like, uh, we, at Dry Farm Wines, we say, I'll, 
turn it over to you. We, but we always say every day Saturday at Dry Farm Wines, you know, because we just like have a lot of fun and we love doing what we do and we create a lot of good in the world. And it shows, I mean, it shows in the way that your team communicates externally, um, even emails that I've had with them in your marketing, in your social media. I mean, just your communication and the way that your, your, your branding and your vision, your, your vision is visual through what you do. Um, and I love that you touched on, you know, you've created 10 companies, so you've gone through a lot of different phases in testing and, you know, you've had companies that you mentioned the one that failed, that you had to lay off 40 people. You've mentioned some that you've sold. Um, what would be your, your biggest takeaway throughout your entrepreneurial journey of not letting the nose or the failure or the um, desire for perfection get in the way of finding that bliss? Well, there's several points that you just made there, but never let, you know, never let uh, perfect get in the way of great. Right. So uh, we got to push through. I, I think, you know, getting up when we fall down. Right. So it, it look, life is not a straight line. Uh, there's going to be some really terrible shit that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's going to be some really extraordinary uh, positive things that you didn't see coming. Right. So, uh, so I, I think, you know, for every great idea, look, if, if you're, if you're not, if you can't, if you, if you cannot put up with the criticism, right, you're, you're never going to do anything great. All greatness you're going to be criticized for, for every person that tells you that dry farm wine sounds like a great idea. There's going to be 50 other people to tell you it's a terrible idea. Why would you get in the wine business? Super crowded. What is dry farming anyway? Nobody's going to understand that. You know what, you know, I mean, there's just naysayers are everywhere, right? So it's really about that conviction of, you know, I'm going to push through and, and go do this thing. I'm going to get knocked down a few times, maybe repeatedly. I'm going to keep coming back, trying to perfect my craft. Right. And so it's, it's just, just about just, but once you get a little bit ahead, a little bit of, a little bit of traction, looking back over my career, which is, I'm going to semi-retire at 90, so I'm just getting started. But looking over my previous 35 or so, 40 years of being employed, 40 plus, 40 couple, two years, in my estimation, the most important thing in building a business is the people you surround yourself with, which is why our hiring practice, when I look back on the difficulties, the drama, the the pain of my entrepreneurial life, it always tied back to either bad customers or bad employees, right? It's always some interpersonal dynamic, right? And so, you know, as an example, like during much of my career, I had businesses that depended on a limited number of large buyers, right? At that point, you become you're no longer self-employed. You're employed by these four or five or 10 buyers, right? They dictate the terms, right? So that was another thing of the 18 rules. It was like, I never have another business 
that doesn't have thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of customers, right? So that in the event I have a bad customer, one who's rude to us or doesn't, um, isn't kind, then we can remove ourselves from the customer, right? You can't do that when you have five customers or 10, you know, who represent the propensity of your income. Right. And so, um, and so you lose the ability to make the kind of decisions you want if you have bad customers or customers are too big. And then the same thing for employees, the who you surround yourself with in life, just in general, the five people you spend the most amount of time will, will have the highest uh, determination on the outcome of your life. Right. And so the same thing is true for employees. I mean, people look, the people I work with, I spend more time with than I do at my home. Right. I mean, not during the pandemic, but generally speaking, right. You just spend a lot of time with the people you work with. So the quality of those people, making sure that the alignment, you know, the emotional alignment, the, the value alignments, integrity, honesty, transparency, that these things are, that are in alignment, you know, so I think the most important thing in, in, in business is the people you surround yourself with. And I love that you mentioned, and if you will touch on this a minute about bad customers, um, because I've never heard it in the way in which you just described it, but but when you were saying it, what came up for me was the more that you are living your purpose and the more that you are in alignment and the more that you have a shared vision, the more that you're going to attract the right customers and the bad, the, the wrong customers or bad customers won't even be in that sphere. They won't even energetically be attracted to what it is that you're putting out there. Um, I could be off base. That was my perspective. What has been your perspective on bad customers and how to make sure that you are attracting the, the right customer for what it is that you're envisioning and putting out? Well, when I say, you know, there's this, there's this adage where the customer is always right. Well, that, I don't think that's necessarily true. It depends on the customer's values, whether they're right or not. Um, and so if we share common values, then yes, they're always right. But if we don't share values, if they don't have integrity, they're not going to always be right, right? And so the question, I think, for me, from a business perspective, just just the 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 dynamics of of um, of the business is: Do you have enough customers that you can fire customers, right, who don't mm -hmm. align with your values? And I was oftentimes in businesses where I wasn't able to fire a customer because they didn't align with my values or they didn't have integrity. I had to do business with them because I didn't have enough of them to get rid of them. Right. right. And so also in these 18 business rules, I never work with people that I don't love, meaning I'll never work with employees I don't love, and I will not have customers I don't love. Mm -hmm. And so if a customer is rude to one of my customers, this doesn't happen. Uh, fortunately, because of the sector of business that we're in, we deal with people who care about the planet. Our customers are people who care about what they put in their body. They care about their health. They care about the health of others. We don't have these kind of customers, generally speaking. But, but if we have, but if we have a customer who's rude or, you know, to one of our people, I mean, that's not in alignment with our values. You know, you can be upset about something, but you don't have to be rude about it, mm -hmm. right? 
You can be unsatisfied and we'll make you happy, but you don't get permission to be rude about it. Right. And so, and so that's what's wrong with the world is that everybody has permission to be rude. Right. And, and this is like, it's not cool. And so we don't, you know, so that for us, that would be kind of the only way to describe a bad customer because, but I have had businesses where I had, like I said, five to 10, you know, large customers, like large fortune 500 companies or whatever, who would make up the propensity of my revenue. And so much so that maybe top two or three of them, you know, would alter, shut your business down. If you, you know, if, if they, um, if they went away and those customers with the wrong set of values can create a tremendous amount of drama in your life, right? They can decide just not to pay you. They can decide to pay you on different terms than you have with them. They can decide that they're not going to pay you on this block of business. We want to continue to do business with you, but we don't want to pay you for this, mm -hmm. right? I mean, this these are things that's happened to me before. Mm -hmm. It's like, even after well, you agreed to pay that, well, we've decided we don't want to. <laughs> you know, and, and, and they're so powerful in your in your world that, you know, you don't have any alternative but to turn a blind eye, right? And that's just not who I want to be. Mm. And you, you do things when you're younger, you know, as you get older, as you'll see, um, as you get older, you'll, you know, you just become less tolerant of other people's kind of nonsense, right? And then you find a way to operate as I have in the world by surrounding myself with people that I love, surrounding myself with highly talented people, and then going out and helping a customer that appreciates us, right? And then really brings a lot of gratitude. And, you know, we, it just takes, unfortunately, you know, I like to say youth is wasted on the young. Unfortunately, it takes a while to figure this whole thing out, right? right. Which is, it takes a while to figure out, you know, how to get our life organized in a way that reflects our values and organized in a way that creates joy and peace most of the time. Mm. It just takes a while to figure that out. You don't figure that out in your twenties or even your thirties. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's still a get navigating to 50 process. Generally before you kind of figure out what it really had to do it. Right. So, um, but your thirties are certainly a lot more fun than your twenties. That's for sure. They are. You've got a little bit more stability and more money and more capabilities to more to, wisdom. Yes. More wisdom. Um, Todd, I could talk to you all day about business and your wisdom in business. Um, this has been such a beautiful conversation, um, not only about the amazing work that you do and the amazing products that you shepherd um, into creation and into hands like mine, um, but just your culture and what you've cultivated. I think that it's inspiring. And I think that it also is a great reminder for myself and for those listening of what is possible. And so I thank you for that. I know we ran over, but thanks for having me today. Oh, this yeah, lot, no, yeah. We could talk for a while, though. We but. could, yes, we could talk for a long time. And I, I do, I have to make sure that I share um, where to get the wines. You can go to dryfarmwines.com slash Julie Solomon. And when you go to that link, if you are a new member, you can buy six bottles and you get your seventh for a penny, or you can buy 12 bottles which I would recommend because they're so yummy and you could get your 13th for just a penny. Um, before we pop off, Todd, I would love to know, so you can share what are some of your favorite 
must try bottles? Well, I tend to favor, I drink really low alcohol wines. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I tend to favor what are generally thought of as thin skin grapes. Okay. So my favorite grape is Pinot Duny. Um, so I also drink a lot of Pinot Noir, mm-hmm. which is more common than Pinot Denis. Pinot Denis is quite rare. Uh, but there, there are, uh, I drink more Pinot Noir than anything just because it's more commonly available, but it's a lighter. Um, and then I also drink, so we, we produce, our wines range from 7% up to a maximum of 12.5%. Most of the wines I drink are between 7 and 10%. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big difference from American 15%. Right. Right. And so I drink lower alcohol wines because I like to drink wine. So I drink at least a bottle a night. Right. And, you know, sometimes a little more. And I don't love alcohol, as I told you early in the podcast. You know, I love drinking wine. I don't like getting drunk. Right. I do like getting high. (laughs) So there's a difference. Right. And so for me, I love getting high. I just don't like getting drunk. Yeah. And uh, I don't like the feeling of it. Now, throughout my life, I got drunk a lot. But, you know, I just, I'm at a place in life where I just, that's just not a goal. Right. You know, but, but, and I'm not a guy that sits down and has a glass of wine. Right. right. I have several, mm-hmm. like five to eight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I like drinking like that. And the only way for me to drink like that and maintain the, um, and, and maintain the l- level of, not sobriety, but the level of buzz that I want, mm-hmm. you know, it's just to drink lower alcohol wine. So most of the wines I drink are 10 or 11, you know, some down to six or seven, but, um, and I still drink 12 or 12 and a half as well. I don't drink anything over 12 and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I just, I just, I also enjoy the taste of a lower alcohol wine. They're, they're fresher and lighter. Alcohol yes. adds density and heat to wine. Alcohol also does a lot to cover flaws in commercial wine because it's hot and dense. It'll cover up flaws in wine. So, you know, the wines we sell must be exceptionally precise because they don't have alcohol there to cover up some of the flaws. So, you know, so that's, uh, so I love Pinot Noir. That's probably the, the grape I drink most often, but I also love Pinot Denis. And there's a whole bunch of others that no one's ever heard of, but they're very hard to get. And mm-hmm. They're ancestral grapes that are just in such low supply that we can't even get them. Uh, just, you know, kind of special occasion thing. But Pinot Noir is probably my kind of favorite go-to for sure. And you guys have great Pinots. Great, great Pinots. Um, and I love We can't get enough of too. them. They sell like crazy. They're so good. They do. Yeah. And they they go fast. I mean, I'll, I'll kind of, I'll watch the website and get the emails. Uh, we're constantly out of them. I mean, can't even begin to tell you. In fact, the only reason I drink them is because when... When they come in, I have some put over in the special room for me. <laughs> you know, so yeah. when we run out, I'm just like, I'm not running out. Yeah. But anyway. And you've got rosés that should be coming around pretty soon here. The rosés are magnificent. The, they're amazing. And orange wines too, which is like skin contact whites. And mm-hmm. yeah, just lots of, and great sparklings too. So it just, you know, just an amazing, uh, just an amazing array of really interesting wines that stand out in a class of their own. Mm. 
Well, make sure that you try them. Again, it's dryfarmwines.com slash Julie Solomon. Um, give it a go. You can get all sorts of varieties. And then again, you get you get your seventh or 13th bottle for just a penny. Yeah, the um, one thing to also remember is our 100% happiness promise. So we will replace or refund any bottle, no questions asked. It. Like, I'm super big on this. We, you know, it's just like, if you don't love the wine, you shouldn't pay for it. And so any wine you don't love, we'll replace it free or send you a refund immediately. No questions asked. It's just like we are super big on that because that's how I want to be treated as a customer. Right. So we try to think of it the same way. How would I want to be treated? I don't want to have to explain to you why I don't or do or don't like a wine or why I don't like it. Give me my money back or right. send me a replacement. Right. So anyway, thanks for having me today. Thank you. And for those listening, make sure to tag um, the hashtag, the influencer podcast, and then tag dry farm wines and tag myself at Jill Solomon. Let us know um, if you're going to try the wines, if you've already tried the wines, what you think, and then also let us know about this conversation, any aha moments that you had, anything that kind of made you start to get a little bit curious about how you're thinking, or maybe um, started to kind of think a little bit differently on something. We love to hear your feedback and we want to share those stories on our stories as well. So thank you so much, Todd. I so appreciate your time. Thank you. All right. That is it for today. Now, are you ready to make more money and impact? If so, head over to juliesolomon.net slash accelerator to learn more about my coaching program and apply. All right, I'll see you again, same time, same place next week.